Thank you for supporting the Ministry of Victory Outreach International. We pray this message challenges, ignites faith, and that God would fan the flame that will produce a harvest of souls throughout the world. This morning I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, and we're dealing with the second part of the message that we dealt with last Sunday morning. Last Sunday morning we dealt with uh, part 1, this morning we're dealing with part 2 of the message that we dealt with last Sunday morning. And here in chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse uh, 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, actually verse 5, let's, let's begin in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. When you have it, say amen. But if any have caused grief, he has not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inf inflicted of many. So that contrarywise you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your love towards him, for to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sake forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant, of his devices. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord Jesus, this morning we come before you once again. And Lord, I pray that your word may have a lasting effect upon our lives. Open up our minds and our understanding so that we may be able to receive. Lord, we just invite your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and move upon your people illuminate their minds and quicken them. Lord, you know the needs of each and every person that is gathered here this morning. And Lord, you're the only one that is able to meet these needs. And your word is able to have a, a life-changing effect upon us. And I pray that your word may find lodging within the hearts of your people this morning, that we will be able to apply it to our needs. And it may have a positive effect. And we will be careful to give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The last time that we were together, last Sunday morning, if you remember, we dealt with... 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we studied the whole chapter. And in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, we were able to study of how Paul dealt with discipline within the church. And 
he gives us a teaching of how we're to deal with discipline and sin within the church. And there was a man in Corinthians that committed a horrible sin. We mentioned also last week the nature of the sin. We spoke about also about even the culture in Corinth. If there was a, 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 a liberal culture, it was uh, the Greek culture was very liberal in Corinthians. Very, everything went. In fact, uh, part of their worship, we mentioned that sex was part of their worship. They would have a temple and the priestess were prostitutes that would come out and, and practice prostitution. And it was all part of the culture and part of their worship, the pagan worship of their day. But here in Corinthians, in the Corinthian church in Corinth, there was a sin that even shocked the people not only in the church, but also shocked the people outside of the church. That everybody was talking about it. And the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church and begins to tell them how they should deal with the sin problem that existed in the church. And the reason why I brought it out last week and we studied it and we'll continue to study it this morning is because I believe God has raised up our church here, Victory Outreach La Puente, to be a Holy Ghost hospital. I believe it with all of my heart. We're to be a, a restoration church, a restoring church. There are many people that have come wounded to our congregation that have received healing. And I believe God has, has given us this very special anointing and being the mother church and a very special ministry of not only reaching the unsaved, but also uh, caring for those that have been wounded in battle. Now, Paul is giving the Corinthian church, he's giving them a teaching so that they could come into that place of balance, of understanding what the Word of God has to say concerning restoration and restoring a brother that had fallen into sin. Now the sin that was committed in, in Corinthians was the sin of incest, where the person had had a relationship with his father's wife. In other words, this young man had a relationship with his mother, stepmother. And it was a horrible sin to all the people that were outside of the church, and everybody was talking about it. And then Paul began to deal with the Corinthians because they were too liberal. They were even puffed up because of the liberality that they had within the church. They were so liberal that they were even proud of their liberality. They were puffed up concerning how flexible they were and how they were able to put up with the, the, the sin that existed within the church. So Paul brings out scripture concerning how they should have dealt with it. And he brings it out in Matthew 18. He gives the scripture, he gives how Jesus uh, dealt with the problem and what Jesus had to say about it. In Matthew 18, we're not going to labor it because we went over it last week, but just to give you a review, there were three things that were to take place in the process of dealing with discipline within the church. Uh, first of all, 
in Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17, it says, If your brother sin against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he shall hear you, then you have gained a brother. So the first step, and Paul gives step by step of how they are to deal with it. The first step that Jesus speaks about is that if a person is in sin, if a person is falling, then another brother, whoever has found out about it, should go in a spirit of love and meekness and speak to that person between you and him. And if he hears you, then you've gained a brother or gained a sister. Then secondly, if he doesn't listen, if he doesn't hear you, then you have to take two or one or two others and go and tell him his fault again and discuss it among yourselves. And then if he still doesn't hear, then the third step is he, if he doesn't hear, then he to take it to the church. And we spoke about taking it to the church. Actually, first of all, the first process is to take it to the leadership of the church and let the leadership of the church deal with it. And then finally, if he doesn't listen to the leadership of the church, then he is to be excommunicated. He's to be sent out and he's uh, to be turned over to Satan for his restoration, and for the salvation of his soul. This is the process that Paul brought out in 1 Corinthians. But now we see here in 2 Corinthians that the end results were positive and were good. And here he brings out when discipline ends. And we have to recognize that we are responsible to give out discipline, but also we have to be sensitive to recognize when the discipline ends and when the discipline comes to an end. And this is what Paul is dealing here in 2 Corinthians. He's dealing in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 about receiving the brother once again and restoring the brother into the fellowship of the church. Now notice what he says in verse 5. If anyone has caused pain or grief, he's not caused it only to me, but in some measure, not to put it severely to you all. In other words, what Paul is saying, when someone does wrong in a church, it not only hurts those involved, but it hurts everybody. That means that whenever you're doing wrong, whenever your life is not right, and you're part of the body, not only does it affect you, but it affects everyone. Nothing is more deceiving than the attitude many people take saying, well, this is only between me and the other person. No one else is being hurt by it. That is never true in a church. The church is a family. And whatever you do as, part, uh, as a member of the family, it has an effect upon everybody. It even has an effect upon our worship when you come to church on Sunday morning and you're not right with God. There's a disturbance. There's something that's blocking the, the blessings of God. And it has an effect not only on you, but it has an effect upon everybody. And I like to illustrate it by this little finger that I have right here. The other day, I was supposed to fly out on Saturday and I with Brother Saul, and Brother Saul feels bad about it already, but I'm in the car with Brother Saul, and then I say to Brother Saul, well, Saul, I'll, I'll see, and I have my finger on a window, you know, windows open, you know, and I say, and I open up the door, and well, Saul, uh, 
So I'll see you, and I'm talking to him. And I guess he has a habit of when he's going to get out of the car, he just raises up those electric windows, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden, he had that electric window. All of a sudden, I'm saying, well, I'll see you. So I feel a pain. And my finger got stuck up there, and I'm telling you, I'm screaming at the top. And he's getting panicked and saying, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? I'm telling him, the window! The window! Ah! The window! And I'm trying to pull my finger out, and I can't pull it out. And then finally, then he, he took, had taken the keys out already, and he's trying to find to put the keys in, and he's all nervous, and I'm screaming, the window! Seemed like I had my finger there for about an hour. Then finally put the key in and then he went ahead and, and let the window down. And by the time that happened, my finger was hanging. The tip of my finger was hanging. And I had to go to the doctor and they still have to go. They're still going to see what's going to happen. But the thing is, is that, man, I never appreciated my finger like I appreciate it now. I said, so what? A little finger, so what? Well, I can't even tie my shoes. I can't even write. I can't uh, even comb my hair. If you see my hair a little flat, it's because I was trying to comb it with my left hand. And I mean, this little finger had a, a, a total complete effect upon the rest of the body. And I'm recognizing now how important this little finger really is for me to function. <laughs> and the Lord showed me a spiritual lesson. How every person, whether they may seem feeble within the body, how every person within the body is so vitally important. This is why, don't underestimate yourself if God has brought you to this ministry, if God has brought you to this church, God has a divine purpose for you, and you are vitally important to function in that place that God has called you to. So whenever you're not functioning where you should function, and especially if there is sin within the camp, it does not only affect you, but it affects everyone else within the church. And this is what Paul brings out and Paul is saying. That it has an effect. It brings grief. It brings sorrow. Not only to Paul, but it also brought sorrow to everyone else within the church. And then he says over here in verse 6, he says, and this is the good part, somehow this guy repented. You know why he repented? Because uh, he was turned over to Satan. And I mentioned to you how even parents sometimes have to do that with their children. Sometimes you baby a child and you baby them, and there could be that, what you call that sloppy agape. Sloppy agape, babying and babying and babying. With me, my parents did that. They send me out. You want the world? And get out there in the world. And you find out what the world offers you. You find out how cruel Satan really is. And this is what they, this is what they did with this uh, person in the church. They send them out. And then he recognized, see, the devil comes, there's no 
real fun in the world. There's only pleasure for a season, right? And what is the purpose of the devil? Especially if you've been a Christian and you go out into the world, he comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He is out to destroy you. Because he doesn't want you to serve God. He doesn't want you to give God the glory. So he tries to destroy you. And this young man came to his senses and came back repentant. And in verse 6 it says, Sufficient to such a man is the punishment which was inflicted of many. See how Paul had a balance? Paul all of a sudden says, Enough is enough. Now he's had enough sorrow. He's had enough rejection. Now we're to receive him. And then he says in verse 7, So that contrary wise... You ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. So Paul is saying, it is enough. Enough. He's learned his lesson by showing signs of repentance, and it is enough. See, discipline should always be for the purpose of restoration. I want you to know that. Discipline... Is not just for punishment, but the end result that we should be looking for in disciplining our children, in discipline within the church, should always be for the end result of restoration and recovery. And the minute that's achieved, that's the time that discipline ends. This is what Paul is bringing out. Now, let's take a look at the mark of repentance. Now, it's important. There are two things we're dealing with this morning. We're dealing with forgiveness. And at the same time, let us also have an understanding of what true, genuine repentance is all about. How could we tell when somebody is truly repentant? And there are some here this morning that need to repent. And there are some here this morning that need to learn to forgive. There are some of you that need to forgive this morning. You need to have a forgiving heart. And God's going to be dealing with you about that, about having a forgiving heart. And there are some here this morning that need to come to this altar and exercise genuine repentance. Now, what is the mark of repentance? Well, here in uh, verse 7, he brings out one of the marks, which is sorrow or grief. He says, comfort him lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Now, you see, genuine repentance is when we do not really believe anybody ought to forgive us. You're listening to Living in Victory with Pastor Sonny Argonzoni, your weekly podcast. I know you're enjoying today's message. We would love to hear how these podcasts are blessing your life. Connect with us today at SonnyArganzoni.org. As long as you believe everybody should forgive you and it's everybody else's fault, then that is not genuine repentance. Genuine repentance is when we come and we say, no one should ever forgive me for what, what they have done and, 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 it's hurt, and the hurt that they have done and, and that they feel that they don't deserve any forgiveness whatsoever. Especially in our church, I've mentioned it before, how sometimes it is difficult to forgive somebody when they've done you wrong. Because some of our guys, when they fall, they really do you wrong. 
There are some places, you know, there are some churches that are uppity-up churches that people are backslidden and you don't really notice it. They're just backslidden in heart and, and you can't see it. There's not that, that outward, real heavy outward manifestation. So they still come into church and they come, they're, uh, they're counterfeit Christians, if you want to call it like that. But with our guys, with our people, when they fall, they really fall. I mean, I've had people that have fallen. I mean, you talk about Brother Sonny being burned. I've been burned over and over and over again. And you talk about financially. I've been burned financially. I've been burned in, in the years of ministry where they have broken into my home and taken everything. And these are people that were trusted and people that were on fire for God. But what happened? They fell and they went into sin. And as soon as they go into sin, if a drug addict is converted, when he falls back into sin, that drug addict will become a drug addict again and even become even worse, the Bible speaks about. If he used to steal, then he'll go back again to stealing. If he used to kill, then he goes back again to killing. And in our ministry, we've had some notorious, notorious characters that we have to work with. And when they are saved, they look beautiful and everybody wants them. When they're saved and they're wearing their two-piece suit and, and they're, so, uh, they're so polite and, God bless you, sister. God bless you, brother. Praise the Lord. God bless you. You know, they look so beautiful like they would never hurt a fly. But oh, when they backslide, even the facial features change all of a sudden. That look is not there anymore, but there's that old man, that old man mentality that takes over. And watch out, they begin to burn people. And there have been people in this church that have been burned by people that have fallen back again into sin. And I say to you this morning, what do you expect? If a person falls back to sin, he falls back to his old ways, he falls back to his old habits, he becomes again what he used to be, he reverts back again to his old nature and begins to do the things that he used to do. And what Paul is saying here, he's telling the Corinthians, listen, uh, you, you disciplined him and he was disciplined and he was chastised. Now that he has repented, I want you to receive him, and I want you to restore him, and I want you to love him. Now what is repentance, true repentance? Well, there are three things that are involved in genuine repentance. First of all, repentance deals, first of all, with the change of mind. It's not just something that's emotional. The, emotion, the emotions are involved. But repentance affects the intellect. It, affects, it has an effect upon the intellect that there's, first of all, the realization that a person did wrong. Once you realize that you've done wrong, in other words, in the Greek, it means the change of one's mind. It affects up here. It is not an emotion, just an emotion, but it's the making of a decision. Like the prodigal son, he came to himself. And he began to recognize. And true repentance always 
There's a change of mind. There's a change of mentality. There's a person coming to his senses and coming to himself. Secondly, also repentance has to do with emotions. There's a godly sorrow. If you recognize in the realization that you've hurt God, even above hurting people, you've hurt God, there's that godly sorrow. You begin to feel bad about it. There's remorse. And there's sorrow, the sorrow of repentance. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's saying, listen, the man is going through sorrow. The man is going through grief because of the hurt that he's done, not only you, but how he has hurt God. He's saying he's truly repented. There's an emotional toll that has taken place upon his life. In fact, David in Psalms, he knew what it was about when he said, a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. So repentance, true repentance, I want you to know it's not just regret. Some people regret what they did, but they're not truly repentant. There's a difference between repentance and regret. Repentance, there's that, that sorrow, but there's much more than the sorrow. And it brings us to the third point, which the third point is that true repentance always involves the will. See, the will. I will do something about it. And the will, when it's in motion, is first of all turning away from your sin, like that man did in Corinthians, getting up and like the prodigal son and saying, I've recognized where I am. I will go back to my father and I will say to him, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. There's a turning away from our sin. And it says in Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked forsake his ways the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And then there's not only turning away from our sin, if you just turn away from your sin, it's not good enough, there's a turning to God. This morning, if you really want to repent of whatever sin you've, ever, you've committed, there's not only turning away from it, making a decision to turn away from it, but also are turning over to God. And this is what this young man did. He turned away from his sin. So then the Apostle Paul points out the process of restoration. First of all, there's the confrontation. The man needed to be confronted, and he was confronted. And then he must be ready to be forgiven. We must be able to forgive him, not only confront the situation, but also be willing and ready to forgive. But not only forgive, forgive but also let me add something else to it. And this is where some of us, uh, we stop. We forgive, but we don't forget. And what Paul is saying here, that true forgiveness is not only to forgive, but also to forget. It is a promise you make to the individual who has offended you. I will not let my attitude towards you be governed any longer by this offense. That means that it has been put aside like it never happened and then never to bring it up again. That's what forgiveness 
is all about. Do you know that that's the forgiveness that God has given to you? We're coming to the place of uh, Good Friday. He died on the cross of Calvary. When he looks at us, he don't remember our sins no more. We've been forgiven. We've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. All the Father sees is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He don't go back and begin to dig our sins. Our sins have been placed in the sea of forgetfulness. He don't remember it no more. And what Paul is saying to them, I want you to receive him. Not only receive him, I want you to love him. And I want you to put his sins aside. I want it like it never happened. And I want you to receive him and, and, and never bring it up again. That's the way that I want you to receive the brother. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 18 it says, Freely you have received, freely give. Paul pleads in verse 8 with the Corinthians, says, Wherefore I beseech you that you will confirm your love towards him. Paul is not asking them to receive the brother back and forgive him, but to love him as well and let him feel your love. And the basis for that forgiveness is in Matthew 10, freely you have received, also freely give. And then in verse 11, and we're going to be closing with this, Paul points out why it's important to forgive. You know what he says? Unless Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant concerning his devices. Do you know that when you don't forgive, it has an effect upon your life? Not only does it have an effect upon the individual, but it always, it always affects the person who refuses to forgive. They become bitter inside. Something begins to happen inside. Paul tells the Ephesians in chapter 4, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. You know that I've had to learn that? Listen to what it says in Hebrews. know how to forgive. Now I've had to learn that in a ministry. That's one of the first things you have to learn. You don't get angry at the individual. If you're going to get angry, get angry at the devil. See? Always look beyond the individual. You see an individual in a fallen state and he's talking bad to you and he's uh, outright being disobedient and rebellious and causing problems. Then look beyond him. And if you're going to get angry with anybody, get angry with the devil. And purpose in your heart to bring restoration to that individual. Now, when you forgive, I want, you to, I want to describe what it's like when you forgive. To forgive, and this somebody wrote this, it's beautiful. To forgive is to set a prisoner free. Hear me now. To forgive, hear me, is to set a prisoner free and to discover that that prisoner was you. You hear that? To forgive is to put down your 50-pound pack a 10-mile, after a 10-mile climb up a mountain. That's the release. That's the freedom. 
that you feel when you're able to forgive a brother or forgive a sister in the name of the Lord. And what is Paul saying in wrapping all this up? That we're to be a, a Holy Ghost church, a Holy Ghost hospital. Yes, we got to be careful about that sloppy agape. We have to have a balance and exercise discipline. But at the same time, we need to know when that discipline stops and when we're able to open up our loving arms and receive our brother and receive our sister who God has restored and who God has brought back into the fellowship of the church. This is the attitude that we need to have as a people and as a mother church that I believe in the coming days there's going to be others that are going to come wounded. Now you mentioned not everybody responds and you say, well, do you, do you have 100% success rate? No, we don't have it because not everybody responds. See, sometimes when a person falls, they begin to blame everybody. And the first one that gets the blame is the pastor. I get the blame. Well, if the pastor would have did this, if the pastor would have called them up, if the pastor or the pastoral staff or the home Bible study leader, they blame everybody. And they don't put the blame where, where the blame should be put. First of all, you don't have to fall. There's no one that could make you fall if you're determined not to fall. The individual that falls is to blame, and also we need to put the blame on the devil because the devil is the one that's trying to get us to fall. See? But it's not, it's not so much the brethren. We need to put the blame where the blame is, and there are some people, as long as they don't come with a, with a humble, repentant heart, they cannot be restored. But once that person comes with a humble attitude and a repentant heart, recognizing, I have failed, I have failed God, I have failed the brethren, I need forgiveness. I'm not worthy of forgiveness, but oh, I need the forgiveness of God, and I'm asking for God's forgiveness and the forgiveness of the brethren. Then we, as the body of Christ and as Victory Outreach La Puente, should open up our arms and receive them with open arms and with, with a heart full of love and restoring that person and bringing that person into right fellowship with God. I want you to stand with me this morning. And I want those of you this morning, I want every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to pray first of all for the people that have a hard time and forgiven. Maybe there's somebody that you need to forgive that somehow you haven't forgiven. I want to ask you to come this morning and ask God to help you. Ask God to put that love inside of you this morning. And there may be others that need to repent. And if you need to repent, I'm also going to ask you to come. And you say, I want to renounce my sin. I want to get rid of it once and for all. I want to serve God. Maybe there are wives that need to forgive their husbands. Maybe your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, a, a friend, a neighbor, a brethren. And this morning you say, I want to... Get it off me. I feel like that heavy, heavy weight is on. We pray that this message has encouraged you to grow in your walk with God. To hear more messages, visit www.visionintlstore.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you.